This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. I'd like to call you all attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1-5. through 5. And if you find it, would you please stand? Verse 1, And I, brother, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in the weakness, in the fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come again before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, again, we ask as we consider this passage, Father, that you uh, open up our understanding. We pray that you... Enable us to grasp the truth that is here in such a way that we're changed. Lord, we want our trust to truly be in You. We want our, to acknowledge our dependence upon You and to, to understand that that in, indeed is the reality. We can do nothing without You. And our hands are open before You, Father, looking to You for sustenance. We thank You again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I, I think sometimes about where I'm putting my trust and you know that's that's an important question you know what 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 do I trust in it's an, an important question in terms of salvation of course um, but even as Christians as we move through this life um, we're in a we're in a constant uh, struggle with the remnants of sin in us we're in a constant struggle with uh, a world that is hostile towards us and to our uh, our view of things because because we uh, we accept a biblical view uh, and so we're we're constantly tempted because of situations like I say could could be out of, could be something that doesn't involve sin at all it could be something uh, sinful about our own life it could be sin coming at us from the outside we're constantly tempted to to place trust. Reliance upon in other places rather than God. And, you know, I think I mentioned last week, or, or I believe it was, talking about the, uh, the syndrome mentality. Uh, everything has a name now. There's a syndrome for everything. And we, we really have to be careful about 
accepting that kind of thinking, or else we 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 will accept that kind of of diagnosis for ourselves, um, maybe because of particular sins, and then think, okay, there's there's a there's a pill we can take, or there's a psychologist we can see, or whatever the case may be, something outside of and apart from God that we can turn to for help. And what I'm going to kind of talk about this morning is something I think everybody here knows. We just need to be reminded constantly because of our sinfulness. But that is that God's Word and God's work within us is sufficient. And that doesn't mean, don't misunderstand me, you know, I mean, we may have medical needs, for example, that we've got to take medicine for and, and that kind of thing. But in terms of understanding how it is we are reconciled to God and how it is we, we walk with Him, how it is we overcome sinfulness in our life, how it is we deal with temptation that is, is constantly barraging us, in terms of knowing God, God's Word is sufficient. God's Word is sufficient. God's power at work within us is, is sufficient. There's nowhere else to go. When Jesus said to those that followed Him, you must eat My flesh and drink My blood, the, the crowd uh, just in mass left. Walked away. And, I mean, it appears to have been everybody except the twelve. And, and Jesus turned to them and said, Will you go also? And Peter said, Where would we go? <laughs> you, you have the words of life. Well, that, that in a nutshell is, is what we're going to talk about this morning. I mean, the, the, the Word of life, the Word of God right here, there, there's nowhere else to turn for true hope, for true help. You know, I, I, even, if you're, even if you're getting some needed help somewhere else, such as medical help, you know, for example, I, I, take, I take something for uh, cholesterol, okay? So, I, you know, I do that because it keeps my cholesterol down. Um, but even in those things, I think, we need to ultimately understand that it's, it's, it's God that has provided these things. It's God that makes these things work. In other words, He's, he's behind it all. He's the ultimate answer to everything we face. So, but getting back to salvation and spiritual knowledge and spiritual things and knowing God, uh, that's primarily what Paul is talking about here. Um, where do we put our trust? Now, I'm just going to go through a, a couple of things here. Um, in these few verses, in, in Paul's argument to the Corinthians, because they are, they are straying in this manner. And I, and I, I made a, a, a point in the first chapter of pointing out that I believe, Paul believed, he's talking to a genuine church here. So, so we're not talking about, at least in general, I mean, there may have been some lost people in the congregation, but at least in general, Paul is, is talking to a body of people, a group of people that, it appears to me, he believes to be saved. 
So he's, he's, not, he's not standing back and telling them, look, you, you've, you've blown it. You're all a bunch of pagans. You know, you all need to uh, be saved. He, these are, he's speaking to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. He's speaking to them as, as, uh, as an apostle um, who, uh, who founded this particular church, this congregation, instructing them, um, you know, your, 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 your focus is off. You're, you're at least leaning toward putting your trust somewhere else. So, um, basically, three things here that Paul argues with. One, the, the weakness of the message. Now, we're, we're kind of picking up um, where we left off last week, so I talked quite a bit last in the previous weeks about um, what we mean by this term. If you weren't here, you may... Think, why is he calling the message of Paul weak? Well, it's because the Corinthians considered it to be weak. And so Paul just picks up that language and, and basically says to them, <laughs> and, you know, the, God's foolishness, the weakness of God uh, is, the weakness of God is stronger than that of men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. In other words, he's using their designation. You've called it weakness. You've called it foolishness. That is the gospel. You've called the gospel foolishness. Uh, or you've treated it in that manner. The world looks at, the, at it that way. Well, I'm telling you, it's that, it's that weak message that you need to be putting all your trust in. So, for example, in verse 1, chapter 2, um, he makes the case saying that it, it was this message that made the difference. This message that you now consider to be weak that is responsible for you being who you are as Christians. Verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not, pro, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So Paul's message, first of all, uh, is a proclamation. A proclamation of good news. We, we talked about that previously as well. That's what he says again here. I came proclaiming. That's in the word there. It's the idea of bearing, bearing good news. Proclaiming what? He'll get to that in a minute. First, first, he, put, first he puts it in, a, in a, negative, uh, a negative assertion. I did not com- come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. <clears throat> so, he came proclaiming. And what did he come proclaiming? The testimony of God. Now, let me say a couple things on that little phrase, because that could be taken two different ways. Um. Paul came proclaiming, proclaiming the testimony of God. Is it, is it the testimony about God? Or is it the testimony from God? Of God in the sense that, you know, God is... It, it's, it's God's testimony. The, the way that the, the phrase is here, it could be taken either way. I think... Uh, and, and, I, and both are true. It's not that either one of those is wrong. It's, it's, I think the emphasis here is... Uh, what he's what he's talking about is I came testifying to you about God, about God, about His way of salvation. So I came proclaiming to you the testimony about God. That was that was Paul's basic message. He's the word testimony is the is the word witness. So it's just like you have a, a eyewitness in a court case giving a testimony. 
In fact, this is where we get our word martyr. That's what the word means. You know, we, we, uh, when we think of a martyr, we think of someone who, who died for a cause, right? Um, usually uh, unjustly so. They died for what they believe. Uh, and incidentally, you know, it's, it, the word gets misused, <laughs> misused a lot today. A martyr is not somebody who commits murder and suicide at the same time. That's not a martyr. If they strap on a bomb and blow up 15 people at a bus stop or whatever it is, uh, you know, in the news media they'll call them martyrs. That's not a martyr. A, a martyr is, is someone who dies at the hands of somebody else, and they don't murder in the process. But the word means witness. Witness. That's, that's the word testimony here. So when you think of Christian martyrs throughout church history, uh, the reason they're called martyrs is because they were witnessing. They were, they were just like Paul, proclaiming good news, basically giving an, an eyewitness account, you might say. And that was certainly true for the, uh, for the original uh, 11 apostles. They were giving a, a, an eyewitness account of the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus. And then that account is passed on to others, second generation, third generation, fourth generation, all the way down the line. And in one sense, we're all eyewitnesses. Not that we actually saw the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, but we have personally, if you're saved, you've personally experienced God's grace in your life. So you go out as a witness and tell others about God and about His way of salvation, about His works. So we, we testify. We bear witness. That's our proclamation. That's the heart of our, our, our proclamation. We, we are bearing good news, bringing good news to people about the testimony of God, the testimony about God. We're bearing witness. Now, Paul says, I did not do that with lofty speech our wisdom. And that's what I mean by the weakness of the message. Again, they consider the message of the gospel to be foolish. Go back to uh, chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. They consider it to be foolish and weak. So it's a weak message. It's about a, it's about a weak, this is the way the world looks at it. It's about a weak Savior. He doesn't, he doesn't come as a conquering king. He comes and he, he gets persecuted. He gets beaten. Ultimately crucified and he dies. Not the idea that the, that the Jews had, uh, for their Messiah. And certainly in the case of the Greeks, the Gentiles, not the idea they would have of a, of a great um, king or conqueror, right? So, so in the mind of the world, this is a very weak message. We're saved by a lamb. A lamb slain. Lays down his own life. People much prefer, um, much prefer, Somebody who's, who's a great orator or a great fighter, right? I mean, why do you think things like uh, mixed martial arts are so popular, right? And, and uh, Bruce Lee movies and, 
and uh, Chuck Norris and <clears throat> Rambo and all. Why, why do people? Why do we love those things so much? John Wayne, which my wife doesn't love so much, but uh, sometimes I make her suffer through them. <laughs> but, but why do those things appeal to us? You know, you like heroes, somebody that wins. That's that's what we think of as a as a strong message. And so Paul is just kind of conceding their 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 uh, point here in this regard. Okay, yeah, it's it's a weak message in the eyes of the world. Now he's already said in the, in the verses just previous to this, he's made the point that in actuality it's not weak at all. In reality, it's the power of God unto salvation. This is the means. Christ crucified is the means through which God saves sinners. And particularly, the preaching of that message. That message, Christ and Him crucified, that is the way that God chose to save those who believe. That's verse 21. So, in reality, it's not weak. In fact, the strength of God is manifest in this message of Christ crucified. But again, he's, he's using their designation. They consider it weak, so Paul says, okay, um, yeah. And I, I came bringing this message. I didn't come with, with lofty speech or wisdom. Because again, what to them is, is strong in language, what to them is strong in speech, would, would be something like that of the great Greek philosophers. Remember, this is primarily a Gentile church, appears to be. And so this is their background. And it's not, again, it's not unlike the United States today. And our, our ideas of strength, our ideas of greatness, similar to theirs. And so their idea of a great message is lofty speech. And, it's, it's still true today. I mean, you, you look at a lot of this, just for example, this, this is true of preachers too. I'm not going to pick on politicians, but you, you, could, you can apply this across the board. You look at a lot of times at, at some of the most popular politicians, they're the ones who can give uh, the most lofty platitudes. I mean, they don't, they don't have to really say anything or mean anything as long as it sounds good. And people love to hear them speak and applaud them. And you can do those same things and pass yourself off as a great preacher. If you're, I mean, if you're capable of doing them, you can do them and draw crowds. And you don't have to give any real substantive message. Just say it well. Say it good. Make it sound profound. And even certain inflections can, can, can bring that across. And people are moved by it. How many of you ever seen... Video, and you can raise your hand on this. How many of you have ever seen video of Adolf Hitler speak? And the crowds were captivated. And, and, and have you ever thought, or have you ever noticed that much of his, 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 you know, his mannerisms is what many people today call good preaching? They say, oh man, that, that dude shucked the corn. He was preaching, boy. Because of the way that he said what he said. And Paul's saying, I didn't do that. I, I didn't come with, a, with that kind of message. It's not lofty speech or wisdom. 
And I didn't present it in that way. And that's number two, the weak, the weakness of the messenger. Verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now there again, um, the heart of the, the real message. And then he says in verse 3, And I, he's putting the focus on himself. You know, First he's talking about the weakness of the message. Now he turns to his own weakness. Verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. <laughs> and my speech, my message rather, uh, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. So you, you see what he's saying? The, the message that I brought by your standards was a weak message. It was Christ crucified. It was, it was the testimony of God. And it was centered upon Christ and His suffering and death. And even I was weak. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much Trembling. That doesn't, that doesn't much sound like a man to follow, does it? doesn't sound like the kind of person that, that, would, that would generate crowds and everybody say, boy, I want to I be like him. Or crowds gathering to hear him speak because he's such a great speaker. I do, I do need to say this, though. Um, we don't, we don't have any audio. There's no MP3 files of Paul preaching. <laughs> It'd be great if it was, wouldn't it? In, in one sense. Um, it'd be neat to hear what it sounded like. Or Peter. You know, if we had a, if you download Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Uh, I mean, the real one. That'd be, that'd, be, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? In one sense. We don't have that. I'm just saying this. We don't, we don't know what they sounded like, how they came across, and... And, and I'm not saying here that Paul wasn't a good speaker. Not even going to say that he did not use rhetoric. He did use rhetoric. We have examples of it here in this very text. And I bring that up because I want to be clear that I think the, the main distinction he is making is that their speech and their rhetoric, that is, that of the world, and the philosophers, the great, some of the great Jewish rabbis, maybe. Their speech and their rhetoric was empty. Had, like we talked about last week, it had no, no substance to the message. It had no power because it had no cross. And this is what the Corinthians are in danger of moving away from. They're getting all caught up and enamored with styles and methods and even content, but the wrong kind of content. Because they're looking for something likable, something admirable. And the message of a crucified Savior just doesn't seem to have that appeal. And so Paul says, I brought you a weak message, the message of Christ crucified. And I was with you in weakness. I wasn't trying to impress you with my, my own strengths. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. As a matter of fact, uh, let me give you an example of that from uh, Acts 18. And this is where Paul originally goes into Corinth and preaches the gospel. 
And he's been suffering much opposition by this time. And you get down to, in Acts 18 and verse 9, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. The reason I point that out is, why, was the, why would the Lord appear to Paul and say, Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, but go on speaking, for I am with you. He's, he's giving Paul words of comfort and encouragement here, obviously because Paul is somewhat downcast. I mean, this is what, this is what he's recounting here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I was, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. He's reminding them. Remember how, how it started out? I came and was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. And my message, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So you've got the weakness of the message. That is, it's not very appealing to a, to a world of people who have a whole different idea of winners and conquerors. Not very appealing to the Rambo types and the John Wayne types or the, even the Aristotle and the Plato types. It's a, it's a weak message. And Paul said, nevertheless, this is the message that I brought. And Paul's person, the weakness of the messenger, again, is not very impressive. Probably not who we would choose as a great leader. He comes in weakness. He goes into different towns and cities and he gets beaten, stoned. He suffers robbery and shipwrecks and all manner of persecutions doesn't ride in on a white steed and take control of the town. <laughs> go, to the, go to the religious leaders or, or the local, you know, uh, idol factories or whatever and say, you know, there's not room enough in this town for the two of us. You've got till sundown to get out. He doesn't do that. <laughs> he says, I brought a weak message and I, I, I came myself in weakness and I was with you. In weakness, my message, my my speech were not implausible words of wisdom. The idea there again is, is is the wisdom of men. He's not saying that the gospel's not wise or wisdom. Certainly it is, but he but he's meaning the wisdom of men, the wisdom of this world. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Well, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You're going to see, that's, that's where Paul's reliance is. 
in the, in the operation of God, the work of the Spirit of God, in the, the, the true substance of the Gospel, Christ crucified. So, he can go into a town and, and the majority of the people, or maybe all of the people, can reject him. And he leaves there, headed for the next town. Not thinking, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that I see evidence here for this. He, he goes to the next town and he's not thinking about, okay, well, this message didn't work too good. Let's see what I can come up with to make this thing more plausible before I hit the next town. Let's see what I can come, with, come up with to, to, so, that, so that I'm accepted. It's really important that we get a church started here and we want to be successful. We want to get this thing off the ground and we want to get it going and we want to be successful. So let's see what we can do to make this thing plausible to the masses. No, he just, he just sticks with the same message. And he goes right to the next town preaching Christ crucified. And there's no evidence that he tries to change his own persona either. You know, well, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. What, what could I do so that the people would be more likely to, to, to receive the message? Well, I mean, I could take homiletics and, and uh, you know, um, I could I could read how to win friends and influence people. Um, take Dale Carnegie. Um, yeah, I'm not familiar. You know, I haven't looked at most of those things. Maybe there's a place for those things in some areas. But I'm simply saying this: the, the gospel doesn't need improving, and and our our reliance cannot be on anything else. Well, it's okay. I mean, we can do what we can, humanly speaking, to make ourselves more presentable. In other, in other words, if if, if we uh, if if we want to come across to people where they're at, it's just like if you went into a different culture, you would want to learn their language. You know, you wouldn't do a lot of good going into that culture and speaking English if they if they don't uh, know a single English word. So even in our own culture, there are ways in which um, we can uh, maybe get better get an ear from people, but we can't change the message. And we can't change in such a way that, that the whole thing would rely upon us and how we come across. We can meet them where they are to a certain extent, but not compromise the gospel. That's basically what Paul is saying. He, he doesn't compromise the gospel. So my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but they were in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So here's the thing. Paul is saying, this is where the real power is. In this message that you call weak, Paul says it's... It's the power of God. It's the source of the power of God. The message of Christ crucified. This is, this is where God is at work. This is where the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is demonstrated and the power of God is demonstrated. Now, 
what does Paul mean by this, by this phrase? My speech and my message were in, here's, here's what I'm getting at, the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What is Paul talking about there? Is he, is he talking about the fact that he did miracles, God did miracles through him? Possibly, but I, I don't think so. But, that, but that's a possibility. I mean, he could be saying, you know what, I'm, my message is not impressive to you. And I'm not impressive to you, but God did use me in miraculous ways among you. You saw the confirmation of God upon me. That, that is a possibility, and that did happen for sure. In fact, we're told that uh, God did unique miracles through Paul, so that in, in some cases, uh, even handkerchiefs were taken from his body. And people were touched with them and healed. And by the way, if you get one of those in the mail today, not today because it's Sunday, but tomorrow, um, throw it away. <laughs> throw it away. Uh, it, 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 it didn't touch Paul's body, for one thing. And uh, the Scripture even says those were unique miracles that the Lord did through Paul. Not the norm. So, I mean, it could mean that. Maybe Paul is talking about miraculous works that God did through him. But here's what I think Paul is actually saying. Here's what I think he means by the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And it will, to some degree, include those things, but, but, but that's not what it's centered on. I think what Paul is simply saying is this. I came to you preaching Christ crucified. I was, I was with you. When he says, I was with you in weakness, the idea there is, is, is a continuing, you know. It's not just that he was weak initially when he came to them, but that's, that's what they knew. That's, that was his presence as he was with him. So I, I brought a message that you are now saying is weak, and I continued with you in that weakness. That is, all I did was preach the gospel, and I did it in much affliction. I was persecuted. Uh, I was physically impaired in some ways, I think Paul is saying. And so God, God brought a message that you consider weak, and He brought it through a messenger that you consider to be weak. But, this is what I think Paul is getting at. But it was, it was through that message, and through this messenger, specifically here, Paul, that you were saved. So he's telling the Corinthians, you're looking on all of this now as, as if it is weak, as if it is foolishness. And it's the very reason for your existence as a church. In other words, God has demonstrated His power through the message of Christ crucified by changing your lives. And now, now you think you need something more. Now you think that you need something else to reach other people? It was the message of the cross that brought salvation to your soul, but now you think, well, it, it really depends on the way it's presented. We need a, we need a great speaker. Or it, 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 there's, there's, better, there's better messages. 
What we really need is something more in line with worldly wisdom. And more people could be reached. And Paul is reminding them, yeah, okay, I came in weakness, but God's power was demonstrated in the fact that lives were changed. Your lives were changed. Let me give you another example of that in First Thessalonians chapter one. In Thessalonica, uh, Paul also uh, founded a church there. They received the word of God, and here's here's uh, part of Paul's testimony concerning the, the Thessalonians. He talks about their faith being heard of. Um, throughout the region there. And then he says in chapter 1, verse uh, verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, the Thessalonians. In other words, Paul saying, We're getting reports from other people about the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So Paul says, look, we we came into your neighborhood, your city, a bunch of pagans, and here's what happened. You, You received our message, the gospel. How do we know you received the gospel? Because you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and now you wait for His Son from heaven. That that radical change in the people is the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. And Paul is saying the means of that kind of radical transformation is the proclamation of Christ crucified. You, you can pick a message that, that, by worldly standards, sounds much stronger. But it'll be empty of power. You can even present the gospel in a very powerful way, which I recommend if you're able to do that. <laughs> but the power won't be in your eloquence of speech. And we do have examples of this, by the way. I said we don't we don't know how, uh, you know how exactly how Paul preached or Peter or what, what how they came across what they sounded like. We are told in uh, in Acts that uh, Apollos was an eloquent man, learned, eloquent man, but he preached the truth. So that's just added bonus, right? If he, I mean, if he can, if he can keep everybody's attention as he's preaching and and do it well, well, that's that's great. But the power's not in the eloquence. The power's in the substance of the message, Christ crucified. So that an Apollos can go somewhere and preach eloquently, preach faithfully the message, and people are saved. Or, what Spurgeon called a stupid preacher, um, could preach faithfully the message, 
and someone be saved. And, and he was referring to the, Spurgeon was referring to the man whom he was saved under. Called him a stupid preacher because he said he was terrible. Uh, you know, it's talking about skill. But, um, but he was preaching the truth. And God smote Charles Spurgeon's heart as he sat on a back pew listening to this man. It's, it's not the eloquence. The power's in the message. And so what, what Paul is saying is, don't lose sight of that. I came to you in weakness, and I didn't come with lofty words of wisdom, wisdom of this world, but I did come in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. That is, there was change. There was change. Because when you preach the Gospel, <laughs> that, that is the means that God uses to save sinners. And I think, by the way, this is exactly the kind of power that Paul is referring to in Second Timothy when he refers to some as having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. 2 Timothy 3.5. Well, I've heard that used a lot to basically to put down other Christians, you know, that don't believe. Now, they have the appearance of godliness, but deny the power thereof. You know, they don't believe in miracles or anything like that. No, I think what Paul is saying is they have the appearance of godliness, but there's no real change in their life. That's how they deny the power of God. They go through the outward motions, but there's no inner work of the Spirit. So they, they, they've got something that looks like godliness, but in reality, it's just like we were talking about in Sunday school with, in, with Isaiah 58 or uh, the other night with Isaiah 29. You know, they were going through the outward motions, but their heart wasn't in it. So they've got an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power of it. And Paul is saying that wasn't the case. When I came bringing the gospel, the power of God was demonstrated. Because your lives were changed. And this happened for a reason. This is the final note and we're done. This happened for a reason. It is so that, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul lays out in, in Timothy some horrible scenarios and says, here's where we're going, Timothy. This is what it's going to look like in the last days. Oh, people disobedient to children, disobedient parents, men, lovers of themselves. People want to endure sound doctrine. Just all kind of horrible things laid out there. And then he tells Timothy, here's how you address that, Timothy. Here's, here's how you address all of these problems. It's going, to get, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get bad. Here's what you do. Preach the Word. Isn't that amazing? Say, wait a minute, Paul. Isn't, isn't that what you said they're not going to want to do? They're not going to want to endure sound doctrine? Yes. And the solution for, for that problem, those who want to endure sound doctrine, is give it to them. Preach the Word. The remedy for the world who don't want to hear the truth is give them the truth. Preach the Word. Because there's no power anywhere else.
The solution for all of us is not that we, we give what we, what we think they need or that, you know, we get what we think we need. The solution for us is the truth of God. It's the power of God. And the only place the power of God is demonstrated, Paul is saying, is in the, the gospel, the message of Christ crucified. This is the true wisdom. This is where the true power is. So, Paul says, I didn't come with lofty speech. My, my, my words and my message were not with plausible wisdom, uh, words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's what accompanies the Gospel. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what are we trusting? When we, when we think as a church, for example, of doing evangelism, you know, what, reaching people for Christ, what are we going to rely upon? What are we, what are we going to trust? And there's, there's a lot to be said. I mean, don't misunderstand me. There's a lot to be said for being professional and skillful and planning things out. All of that's great. I'm not knocking that. I'm not good at it, but I'm not knocking it. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's good. A lot of times it can be real good. I remember as a young Christian listening to Chuck, Chuck Swindoll one time talk about the skill involved in preaching. And I thought, well, man, that's just, that's just so unspiritual, you know. I, I saw he, he doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't get it. I got a different opinion now. And I, I think I understand a little bit what he was, what he was meaning about it, it is good. You know, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. It's, it's good to be skillful. It's good to be professional. It's good to be all those things. But don't rely upon it. That's not what saves. That's not what saves. So, when we think about reaching the world, what, what do we trust in? Paul's saying, give them the gospel. Give them the truth. Whatever you do. Some of you are going to be more eloquent than others when it comes to delivering it. The main thing is that you stick with the truth. Some of you are going to appear weaker than others. Some of, some of, you, some of you do come across as natural leaders and, you know, and, and people just, just kind of take to you and you've got the magnetic personality or whatever it is. Fine, but don't, don't trust that as a means of changing lives. Trust in the power of God. What do we as individuals trust in in terms of our own sanctification? Or even in, in, in hearing and reading God's Word? Or, I mean, are, are we trusting in the power of God? When we, when we come, even here, for example... Is it just, a, a, well, I've got to do my duty. I've got to endure, you know, endure the sermon. <laughs> or do we really believe that there's power here? That even if the preacher doesn't get it across well, there's power in God's Word. Jesus said in John 17 in His prayer for us, 
Father, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. It's the means by which God makes us holy. And do we as Christians look for genuine evidence of the power of God at work in us? Are we trusting in God's Word to change us? The message of the cross. It's not just a message to bring us to Christ initially. It's a message for our lives in this world. It's, I mean, saved people need the Gospel just like lost people need the Gospel. Paul says, I came to you preaching Christ crucified so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men or anything in this world, but so that I came to you preaching Christ crucified so that your faith, your trust, might rest in the power of God. Would you stand, please? If you're uh, guys that are in our Knowing God class, we'll, we will plan to meet at 5 o'clock today, all right? And if anybody else wants to sit in, you're welcome to do that. But we'll meet back here at 5 o'clock today. And other than that, Lord willing, we'll see you all at 6 p.m. Um, let's, let's pray and we'll, we'll dismiss. Ronnie McCart, do you mind leading us in a word of prayer, please? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.